Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. No one questions today that uncertainty is all around us as human beings and as leaders. And everyone I know is struggling with how to think about that uncertainty. Actually, what they want to know is how to manage the uncertainty. In other words, how do they take the uncertainty out of the equation and become more certain? Well, we're not going to be able to take the uncertainty away, but we can give some advice about practices that enable you and your organization to survive and even thrive in uncertain times. Now, we've done a couple of these episodes around resilience. This one is a different take, though it's certainly related. So my guest today is George S. Day. He's the Jeffrey T. Boise Emeritus Professor at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. He's been a consultant to a number of organizations like GE, IBM, MetLife, Unilever, DuPont, Boeing, LG Corporation, Best Buy, Merck, Johnson & Johnson, Agilent, excuse me, and Medtronic. I could go on. His specialties are in the area of marketing, strategy making, organic growth, innovation, and organizational change. George has authored 19 books in the areas of marketing and strategic management, and his most recent ones are Strategy from the Inside Out, authored with uh, Christine Mormon, as well as Innovation Prowess. And the one I want to talk about today, the one I'm so excited about, is called See Sooner, Act Faster, How Vigilant Leaders Thrive in an Era of Digital Turbulence. And I should say that is co-authored with Paul Shoemaker. George, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Ed, it's wonderful to be with you again, Wanda. Um, I totally resonate with the title of your show, Out of the Comfort Zone, because uh, that's where you live with uncertainty, um, which is uh, doubt about how things are going to uh, play out in the future. And that's what most organizations are struggling with, uh, especially in the midst of the uh, pandemic recovery uh, and the need to focus on the here and now while also thinking about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's so easy to say that word. You just need to get out of your comfort zone. And I find that leaders say that all the time to their protégés, to their direct uh, reports, to the people they're mentoring and advising. But it is so much easier to say that and awfully hard to do when you're caught in the grip of it in the moment. And you're right, we're thinking about it at the moment in terms of pandemic. But if you think about the whole larger context of digital turbulence, there we've got to get better at this or we're going to drown. So let's dive into, and I really do like the book, See Sooner and Act Faster. But I want to start at the very beginning. What got you interested in this topic, the whole notion about uncertainty and acting sooner? Where did that all come from for you? Well, it uh, it, it began, interestingly, uh, back in uh, probably uh, 2004, 2005, when uh, Paul and I wrote a book on peripheral vision. Detecting the weak signals that will make or break your company. So you can see I've been thinking about these issues 
for a long, a good long time. Uh, one of the things we found then, uh, through uh, probably uh, twenty or so really deep clinical dives into companies that were surprised, uh, either because they didn't see a threat coming over the horizon, or they missed an opportunity. Uh, and, 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 and both are, are uh, pretty damaging. Uh, but one of the things we found, Wanda, was that when firms were surprised, uh, there was always someone in the organization that knew all about it. But they didn't know that leadership didn't know, and leadership didn't know what they knew. Uh, wow. But there were a few exceptions, and uh, those are the ones we've come to call vigilant organizations. That is, uh, those that uh, were able to detect the weak signals much earlier than their rivals and act on them. Uh, but we didn't really have a good handle on what it was about these vigilant organizations that saw sooner and therefore were able to act faster. And the other uh, roughly 60 to 70% of organizations that were vulnerable, that is, uh, forced uh, to react to surprises uh, when they didn't have very many degrees of freedom to work with. Uh, and, and, and reaction means you start on your back foot and you're always trying to catch up. So the... Uh, uh, result of our questioning was this book on See Sooner, Act Faster, where we really, uh, I think, uh, dig deeply into the question of what it is that separates vigilant from vulnerable organizations. Now, for example, uh, let, let me give you uh, a, a classic, and I've got tons of others, but uh, one of the first organizations we really... Uh, uh, started to study when we were working on this newest book was Adobe. Adobe Systems okay. then. Uh, it's now just Adobe Inc. Um, and uh, they're actually more successful than the Fangs in, in terms of their stock market appreciation. Uh, and what made it such a compelling example uh, What was that they turned a looming threat to their uh, Photoshop app uh, or software, and they they built it into a big opportunity. Now, what they saw sooner than anybody else was that uh, the cloud was going to utterly transform how people uh, manipulate digital images, uh, store them, make them accessible, and so... Uh, by seeing that, they considered what the implications were for their business, and they said, we really don't have any choice other than to jump into this. And so nine years ago, they moved from their uh, uh, package software, uh, which we used to buy and actually own the software, they moved to a subscription model located in the cloud. Uh Moving from a buy model to a rent model. Uh, by the way, uh, many of the uh, uh, graphic designers uh, that use Photoshop loved it, were really upset. 
because they yeah. they thought they had lost control over their content. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and and the result was they took quite a significant hit uh, in in about two thousand. Uh, 11, 12, 13, but now they're on top of that whole digital imaging business way ahead of their potential rivals, who would include people like Microsoft and Oracle uh, and dozens of others. Because, uh, back to the theme of the book, they saw this possibility. Uh, if they hadn't reacted to it, it would have been an enormous threat because it would have given the rivals uh, a, a really uh, interesting pathway into their business. Uh, and they acted much faster than anyone else. Uh, and, and so now they're uh, re- reaping the rewards of leadership. And, and that's what I mean by a vigilant organization, is uh, one that's uh, able to uh, cope with uh, all of the uh, confusing uh, signals that are coming at them, sort them out, and decide how to act. Yeah. I remember that time with Adobe where there were lots of articles written about this was going to be the end of Adobe. There were lots of other competitive products. You could now manipulate images on your phone. You know, Apple's software was going to be better. I mean, there was a whole bunch of dire predictions coming about Photoshop. And I think the oh, yeah. creative suite has um, done well as a result. Okay, so Well, actually, for- uh, there was a... Uh, uh, an online petition uh, that uh, m- probably a thousand graphic designers uh, signed up for protesting this move. Yeah, if you're used to having your images on your desk in your computer system and uh, you want to then put them in the cloud, there was a lot of nervousness about what the cloud would do. Oh, yeah. Be. We forget and, and we, how, so we have how to go back eight years uh, to remember uh, that nobody was really quite sure what the cloud was. Right. Right. Well, I weren't sure we trusted it. So what I'm interested in is those signals were around for Adobe and dozens of others uh, that we were moving to a cloud storage, that the way we looked at images was going to be different, the way we put things. But why haven't, let's take the negative why vulnerable organizations must be seeing the same signals. So is it that they don't see, they don't act, they ignore the signals? What is it about vulnerable organizations that makes them not take action? Well, that's uh, the uh, the crux of uh, our latest book is trying to answer that question, um, and and uh, it's it's a four part uh, four part answer. There are four factors uh, that we find that are critical, and uh, by far and away the most important is leadership commitment to vigilance. Uh, In in, in vigilant organizations, they they play the long game. Uh, They're really curious, and you talk a lot about curiosity, uh, and, and Vigilant organizations, and and by the way, I'm talking about the leadership team, uh, not just the CEO, but uh, the the C-suite or the uh, senior functional managers operating as a team, and uh, they're they're collectively uh, willing to challenge 
the assumptions. And most important, what we found is that uh, in these vigilant organizations, the leadership spent as much as 50% of their time together thinking about the future. Uh, by contrast, the uh, vulnerable organizations were pretty much focused on short-term efficiency, managing quarterly earnings. Uh, they tended to be conventional thinkers, not really uh, willing to challenge the uh, conventional wisdom, and uh, they really didn't go out of their way to uh, uh, seek outliers uh, in the organization. So they were not comfortable getting uh, disturbing signals and, in fact, uh, discouraged them from the outlying areas. Uh, and, and that brings up uh, uh, probably the, the first person who really focused on this was Andy Grove. Uh, you remember his wonderful book, Only the Paranoid Survive? Right, uh, right. And he was a master uh, at uh, creating uh, and committing to vigilance. Uh, he gave people permission throughout the organization to come to him directly with the weak signals of either threats or opportunities. So uh, the, uh, the, the second part of the uh, leadership commitment to vigilance is that they also back it up with a uh, uh, significant investment in, in foresight. Uh, they they uh, run a lot of uh, experiments. They search actively. They, they don't wait for opportunities to come to them. They actually go out and search for them. Uh, they much better at uh, uh, taking a, uh, a flexible approach to strategy. They buy a lot of real options. Uh, they, they will, for example, uh, one... Uh, medical diagnostic firm uh, uh, that I uh, unfortunately can't name, uh, but uh, they were uh, very uh, concerned about the possibility of a drug that could displace the functionality of their pacemakers. Uh, so I've already given you uh, a, a few possibilities for who might, who might this be. Uh, but they mounted a, and, and invested heavily into asking the question, what's the likelihood that any substitute technology, particularly a biotherapeutic uh, uh, or a, a chemically-based uh, solution might displace the function of our pacemakers. And so they got everybody in the organization uh, catalyzed around that particular question. They had task forces, uh, but the, uh, the real option part of it was that they would uh, take small stakes in uh, startup uh, biopharma uh, companies that would appear to have had uh, uh, possibly uh, uh, the technology that they were worried about. And uh, so, so they were ready to uh, take advantage of what they learned. And uh, interesting uh, sidebar to this is that because of this investment in vigilance, they discovered there were some really nifty drugs that could 
uh, extend the performance of their existing implantable diagnostics. So, uh, but the, uh, the 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 point here is that leadership was committed to vigilance, and they invested significantly in foresight. They had outposts. They had scouts going around, and uh, they were uh, spending a lot of time thinking about future threats. So 50% of their time as a senior management team thinking about the future, it reminds me of an article that Steve Newman and I just published, largely inspired by a CEO who on, you know, leaving the company said, you know, ask, well, do you regret anything? And he answered, yeah, I wish I'd spent more time on the future, thinking about the future. That notion of 50% of your time planning forward and being really serious about it, being curious, putting the investment in, not only time, but money, um, getting the organization invested in it, looking for opportunities, doing small experiments, mm-hmm. just out testing what could be with no guarantee that it was going to return profitably. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. That strikes me as very different than short-term focus, quarterly earnings, keep doing what we do, only better and faster. And that signal is just confusing. Stay focused on what you need to get done. Okay. Yeah. I get uh, the impact to the leadership team. Just so, a, uh, an, an interesting aspect of uh, the answer to your first question was how did we uh, proceed to uh, attack this? Uh, we have actually uh, done surveys for about uh, 400 uh, on 450 different organizations, 120 or so global corporations. But the uh, Council on Foundations approached us when they learned about our work, and uh, they wanted to understand what was the difference between a vigilant and a vulnerable foundation. And uh, mm-hmm. so our basic model uh, really uh, adapted very, very well to this new environment of uh, foundations. So my conclusion is, uh, and indeed I'm now working with uh, uh, organizations as diverse as the Sonoma County Wine Growers mm-hmm. and the uh, City of Copenhagen, uh, which I think has every aspect of a vigilant city. And uh, so we're we're doing a study with uh, the uh, civic leaders of Copenhagen on how they became a leader in sustainability and sustainable buildings okay. because they saw sooner. Saw sooner. I got it. So the the leadership is committed to this kind of vigilance. You said there were four factors. That was one. What's the second factor? The second factor is this uh, willingness to invest in foresight. Um, and, and that's where the uh, right. investments backstop uh, and demonstrate the commitment of leadership to right. vigilance. Okay. So you've got a leadership team that demonstrates uh, curiosity, they seek diverse inputs, uh, and then they follow it up, uh, follow up their uh, behavior in the, uh, the, the meetings with specific investments in uh, searching for opportunities and, and buying real options. Okay. The other uh, two dimensions we found were how they approached strategy. Uh, and okay. and uh, 
many organizations look at strategy, and, and especially the vulnerable ones, uh, they start from the inside out. They say, okay, we've got these resources. How can we best use them? Uh, whereas uh, in vigilant organizations, they start from the outside in. They say, let's stand in the shoes of our rivals. Uh, and uh, so they do a lot of competitive gaming. Let's stand in the shoes of our customers and look at our firm objectively. Uh, let's stand in the firm of the uh, the network partners. How, how do they see us? And where are their interests going? So the, uh, the strategy-making process is uh, very much, in, in a vigilant organization, one of embracing uncertainty as opposed to avoiding uncertainty. And, and you can imagine in uh, a, a vulnerable organization that... Uh, the uh, focus of strategy making is on next year's budget, next year's plan, uh, and resource allocation. Uh, it doesn't really uh, get driven by curiosity. Uh, then the the last element, uh, which is needed to pull all this together, uh, last factor, is uh, how do you go about coordinating and uh, assessing accountability? Uh, and uh, one of the key things is uh, in, in coordination is that organizations that are vigilant really share information readily across their boundaries. And uh, there, there's uh, specific in, in, incentives for timely action. Uh, whereas in vulnerable organizations, uh, information uh, about threats and opportunities tends to get uh, trapped in the silos. Never, and, and, and in fact, they uh, protect their information. They don't share it. And then, in fact, they may not know how to share it or, or why, to sh- why it should be shared. So okay. as a result, uh, you're vulnerable if weak signals are left unattended. Right. And you can sort of see why if you have an approach to information, especially um, marketplace information or competitive information, and I protect that within my particular silo because I don't know how or don't trust the organization to share it broadly, that just makes you more vulnerable. I can see how that happens in the clients that I deal with because that weak signal doesn't get – you don't get to connect the dots between part A and part B to see that that weak signal actually has more implications, more meaning, if that makes any sense. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely uh, consistent with what we've found. Uh, uh, one of, there's another one I'd love to get your reaction to because sure. uh, we, we have all this data uh, in uh, – foundations, uh, financial institutions, and global corporations. But one of the things that uh, is striking is how they approach failure. And that turned out to be a, uh, a really defining feature. For example, in vulnerable organization, a, uh, a failure, uh, which I would prefer to call an innovation disappointment, uh, is an error. And so if it's an error, you look for someone to blame. And uh, the result is that uh, there's not much learning. And, uh, in fact, people are discouraged from innovating uh, and, and taking chances and exploring 
the uh, possibilities. Whereas in vigilant organizations, they view uh, a, a failure as an opportunity to learn. And uh, they recognize, uh, and, and, and in fact, one of my favorite clients is uh, W.L. Gore and Associates, uh, because they've gone public with this. They do really deep, deep dives into their failures or innovation disappointments. And uh, in ev- almost every case, they have found that they learned something that led to the next generation of uh, and, and possibly a successful product. So, um, when you see a failure as an error, you know that you're vulnerable. Right. That sounds like a great hallmark. I certainly know dozens of examples where there was a small experiment. It looked like there was an opportunity. The experiment didn't quite work out the way they thought, or the opportunity didn't quite materialize the way they thought, and so that idea was shelved. But yep. it's rarely forgotten And, you know, five years later, ten years later, something changes. Maybe that thing comes back in a completely new use. Or maybe suddenly the market is available now for a thing you had been experimenting with before. I know so many companies that have had success with an innovation because it's something they were mucking around with and didn't really succeed at. And then suddenly it's great. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, innovation is a discovery process. Uh, and you have to be open-minded uh, and curious. So going back to leadership, they set the tone at the top. Uh, a uh, well-used term, but I think it's absolutely appropriate here. Okay. All right, I have a question for you. To, if if yeah. they give permission for exploration and learning and uh, expressing your curiosity, uh, you'll get it. Right. One of the, you know, when we look at the personalities of people that are leading within organizations and leading at all levels, we find some people have a personality profile that is willing to challenge the status quo, uh, curious, interested in learning, looking for a different way of doing it, uh, comfortable with risk, you know, that kind of a bit more of a, you know, explorer, I guess is the best way to describe it. And we see lots of other people who are leaders at all levels, again, who are much more cautious by nature as um, individuals. How much of this vulnerable organization versus a vigilant organization do you think comes down to characteristics of people looking for people who are like them or is it really more of a culture? Well, it, it gets to be a little circular uh, because I think vigilant organizations are much more open to uh, what, what you're describing as divergent thinkers. So because they are uh, that, that, that particular kind of talent is comfortable in that organization, they attract more of them. And uh, because they attract more of them, they're much better prepared and uh, and generally much more successful. Um, and uh, so it's it's a little bit of a feedback system. Uh, the rich get richer, or at least <laughs> the vigilant become more vigilant because they're they're places where people want to be. So uh, it's a 
I'm giving you a two-part answer. Uh, one is they're inherently attractive to the kind of talent you want, and uh, uh, at, at, at the same time, uh, they outperform, and uh, they continually are in the forefront, which makes them even more attractive. Uh, and and uh, ultimately, uh, it goes back to something you've talked a lot about, and that is they uh, they, they they build uh, a very supportive culture. Yeah, um, and 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 a lot of this can be viewed as uh, just different aspects of the behaviors, values, and priorities in a culture. Mm-hmm. I think when we look at resilient organizations, and you can pick absolutely anybody's work that you want to call on, when I look across all of that work, one of the qualities of vigi- of resilient organizations, so those that can go through adversity and come out the other end, is that they are incredibly human places, meaning yes. they're very caring. There's a very supportive culture to use your language, and the values and the behaviors support that. And so when you look at vigilant organizations now, the ones that can see the weak signals, take action on it, and plan ahead to you know take advantage of those opportunities as opposed to being caught on the back foot, do you yep. find that they also have a strongly supportive culture? Oh, uh, very much. Uh, and uh, th- that culture uh, gets richer and deeper and better as time mm-hmm. goes on. Uh, so let's let's uh, take a, a a moment to think about uh, the organizations that are struggling to uh, deal with the, uh, the, the the dreadful consequences of the pandemic. Uh, I would argue that vigilant organizations uh, are, are because they're inherently more resilient are are better prepared to deal with it. They're they're struggling. Uh, they they uh, were, were certainly surprised, but I think their character of their vigilance culture uh, sets them up to be ready to uh, move to the, the next horizon. If you think about horizon one is just the here and now, okay, how do we survive? How do we keep our supply chain uh, from collapsing? And and, and that's where you got to spend most of your time. But uh, Horizon 2 is getting ready to pivot when the, uh, uh, the, the, the clouds of uncertainty are abating a little bit. Uh, but Horizon 3 is where vigilant organizations really excel. They're looking out at all of the other um, trends and uncertainties that they're going to have to deal with. And yeah. so uh, they're, they're thinking about uh, what, what are the consequences for all of the uh, digital transformations, the work from home, online uh, meetings, and so forth. Uh, and, and they're trying to uh, think through how that's going to impact on their future. So they have, uh, again, back to this notion of the leadership commitment, they absolutely will spend some time looking out in the future rather than focusing on the here and now. Okay. All right. George, that makes tons of sense to me, and this is a perfect place to take a break. 
So my guest today is George S. Day. He's at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. I should say he's an emeritus professor there, the author of 19 books, but the book we're talking about today is co-authored with Paul Shoemaker, See Sooner, Act Faster, How Vigilant Leaders Thrive in an Era of Digital Turbulence, I might add, or any turbulence. The notion is that vigilant organizations are ones that see opportunities ahead of the game, can take action on them, can experiment on them, uh, can make investments about those opportunities. They spend 50% of their time as a top leadership team thinking about the future. In contrast to a vulnerable organization that seems to be always caught on the back foot, surprised by what has happened in their marketplace or what was a threat to them. And I love what you said at the beginning, George. You said in every company you were studying that was vulnerable, someone in the organization knew all about whatever this surprise was. And they didn't know. Management didn't know. And management didn't know that they didn't know, It's mm-hmm. that they did know. It's very interesting. So it's that sense of how do we create a structure where we really are anticipating thinking ahead and we create a culture and an environment that makes that possible. So we're going to take a break. When I come back, I want to talk about um, tools. What kind of tools can we be using that help us move to a more vigilant environment? And we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to Wanda.Wallace at LeadershipForumInc.com. That's Wanda.Wallace at LeadershipForumInc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is George Day, and the book we're talking about is See Sooner, Act Faster. This is really about vigilant organizations who seem to be able to anticipate the shifts and changes and opportunities and get ahead of the curve. 
Whereas vulnerable organizations are ones that seem to be caught always on the back foot. And we've been talking about the cultural or the components that make vigilant organizations unique, how the leadership time spends their time, the investments that they make, and a few other factors as well. All right, so what I want to do now is to focus on how do I get better? So wherever I feel like I am in my organization or my part of the organization, wherever I think I might be a little more vulnerable or a little bit more vigilant, how do I improve? How do I become more vigilant? So George, what can I do to help me be a bit more vigilant? Thank you, Wanda. Uh, And again, uh, I'm uh, delighted to uh, welcome our audience uh, and and, and talking about uh, seeing what's coming next and looking over the horizon. Uh, As as you can imagine, most organizations are, to one degree or another, quite vulnerable. Uh, In our data, we uh, estimate probably 60% would characterize themselves as vulnerable. So the natural question is, how do we get better? How do we uh, uh, keep up with the vigilant leaders um, or or catch up to them uh, and pass them? Um, So one of my favorite stories uh, about how to do this was uh, the uh, uh, situation that happened, oh, about... Uh, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, when Alan Mulally became the uh, new CEO of Ford. Now, Ford was in a uh, pretty dire straits then. Uh, Uh Mulally came from Boeing, and uh, he confronted the kind of culture that we were talking about before the break. Uh, Very insular, short-term focused, uh, and, and this was played out in the leadership meetings by uh, uh, the, the the pattern was that uh, everybody spent the week before the meeting, uh, the, that is, the, you know, the standard 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Monday morning uh, meeting, uh, looking at each of the operations. Uh, the participants would spend the previous week building a and vetting uh, and getting approval of a, uh, a very tight deck of slides. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was uh, truly death by PowerPoint. So mm-hmm. Alan Mulally sat through one of these. And the next meeting, as he was about to begin, or, or at least as the first speaker was about to begin, he said, uh, we're going to change things. And instead of uh, having these pre-digested decks on uh, the issues and performance, uh, meeting budget, and so forth, we're going to talk about anomalies. And so I want each of you to think about an anomaly that uh, is is something out of the ordinary that happened in your business, uh, say, Auto, manuf- uh, auto business in Europe, uh, something that happened with dealers that you couldn't explain, seemed unusual, and uh, the <laughs> collective uh, audience was totally flummoxed because yeah. they had they, they'd never been asked to think like that. Mm-hmm. And one uh, uh, 
Australian, uh, as you might expect, uh, came up with a, uh, a great anomaly and said, you know, I really don't understand this, uh, but I'm looking into it. Now, this is a culture where you had to have answers, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, expressing curiosity and uncertainty and even talking about problems was uh, not not uh, valued, uh, because uh, if you had a problem, that meant you had a weakness. And uh, so Mullally, uh literally grabbed that culture by the neck and turned it 180 degrees with that, uh, uh, I think, marvelously effective and simple device of getting people to talk about the anomalies that they'd seen. Well, the next meeting, a week later, the uh, uh, roughly 20 uh, in the uh, executive team each had an anomaly. They focused their organization and said, get me an anomaly. And yeah. uh, so everybody in the organization, uh, particularly in the upper ranks, was looking around for something they couldn't explain, a problem they had. Uh, and uh, I've talked to people who went through that, and he said it was the most stunning transformation in a culture uh, from problems uh, as a sign of weakness to problems as opportunities. So uh, that, I, I think, you you have to change. In, in order to improve, you, you've got to begin at the top. And then uh, the second area is uh, to to really invest in foresight. Uh, as we've discovered, uh, and as uh, Andy Grove famously uh, uh, said in his book, when you can tell I'm a real admirer of uh, his book, but he said, when spring comes, snow melts first at the periphery because that's where it's most exposed. And so he invested heavily in uh, the the capabilities uh for uh, discipline searched, uh, for opportunities. He leveraged the network of partners, and, and so he was always probing and asking them what was going on, did a lot of scenario thinking and development. Uh, and, and so, obviously, when you invest in foresight, scenarios are a crucial tool because there are the ways that you can uh, – Try to get the uh, uh, essence of the uncertainties. Rather than being overwhelmed, uh, I'd, I'd love scenario planning because, uh, or scenario approaches, because they they try to boil down uh, and and focus on the critical uncertainties. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of investment, and then uh, just create a lot of uh, portfolios of experiments and make early-stage investments. So, actually, you can actually have a small budget uh, for that kind of an investment. And then uh, you you have to have uh, kind of an organization structure, uh, maybe a hub to collect the weak signals and uh, try to interpret them and share them. But uh, those two things, I, I think, uh, stand out in the uh, uh, transformation process. And then the uh, the third is that 
and 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 here's now where we get into the uh, the difficulties of not only of the pandemic, but of the digital transformation. And uh, one of the things that uh, Paul and I struggled with early on was how do we uh, deal with the declining signal-to-noise ratio? There is just, I I think, uh, the amount of data as opposed to information doubles every 18 months. And we're all absolutely overwhelmed with data and uh, so mm-hmm. the weak signals that you got to pay attention to are hard to extract from mm-hmm. the tsunami wave of data coming at you. Uh, so what we've discovered is that uh, th- this notion of guiding questions is, is really helpful. Uh, okay. So we've... Uh, put together and formulated a number of these uh, working with our various clients, and they, they fall into uh, three categories. Uh, okay. the, the first is, okay, what can you learn from the past? And, and we have a, uh, a lovely exercise that, uh, that, that we fondly call the hits and misses uh, mm-hmm. exercises. So what opportunities and threats did you see ahead of anybody else? And... Uh, which ones, uh, which opportunities and threats were you late to see? And, and uh, explain what it is that's common about those you saw sooner and those you saw later. Uh, and, and, and so uh, you're, you're trying to get at where are your blind spots and, mm-hmm. and then uh, overcome them. Then you can, uh, the second type of uh, guiding question is to interrogate the present. Uh, so what are our uh, outliers saying? Uh, our complaining customers or defecting customers? You can learn a lot from them. And then finally, mm-hmm. uh, a, 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 another clump of uh, useful guiding questions is, is trying to anticipate the future. Uh, and then, for example, is there uh, an unthinkable scenario out there? Something we can't imagine happening, like a pandemic, mm-hmm. and uh, how would we deal with it? So that's uh, three ideas uh, on how to improve your level of vigilance, catch up to the leader, and uh, then uh, you'll you'll see the performance results. Okay, so those sound like things that could be implemented at the top for sure, but I can also imagine a smaller group within an organization sitting down about their part of the organization and saying, okay, let's try these approaches. And just to reiterate, one of those is to get your leadership team to talk about anomalies. What are the things that have happened that you've seen that you can't explain that seem unusual and that you don't necessarily have an answer to? So how do we take those problems, understand them, talk about them, see how common they are, um, and turn them into opportunities? So that was one. And the second was this notion about investing in foresight. And as you rightly said, scenarios, I agree with you, are just a great tool to get you focused on what a future might be and what would we do about that one and create some small experiments, et cetera. And the third one, I loved your guiding questions. So three categories. Um, and I can just imagine a team doing this. One is, what are our hits and misses of the past? Like, what did we 
fail to see that we should have seen, we were too late seeing, and what did we see ahead of the pack? And the commonalities and what does that tell us? And then two is interrogate the present. What are our current outliers, customers or others telling us mm-hmm. that um, are unhappy? And then three is anticipate the future. Again, what's the unthinkable and what would we do about that? Those are great ideas for any team anywhere to begin to embrace this vigilance idea and get a little bit better at it. Now, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics in here, too, next, George, and that's the whole notion of conflict. Because the moment we go down any of these directions, there's going to be major disagreement in the room. So it strikes me that one of the qualities is we have to get incredibly comfortable with having conflicting points of view and work our way through that. What's your experience? Oh, uh, I, I Two thoughts, uh, and, and we're really closely aligned on this, but I love the idea that uh, uh, these actions can be taken at almost any level in the organization, but they will uh, invariably lead uh, to conflict uh, because uh, you're, you're sowing doubt, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the character of uncertainty. And uh, some People, uh, some leaders, uh, and you've uh, talked about leaders who are experts in their field, uh, because they don't have much. They have very little doubt about the uh, the probable answer. But you put them in a different leadership situation, and there's lots of doubt. Uh, and what I'm advocating is uh, expose and reveal and discuss that. Uh, source mm-hmm. of doubt, uh, and uh, th- there, there's where the disagreements lie. Yeah. One of the, uh, the, the the best ways to deal with it is to um, express it as a major question, and then go out and uh, let, let's go back to Adobe, for example. They uh, there, there was great conflict within the organization as to whether they should move to the cloud. So they. Uh, tried to manage the conflict of, and, and did so effectively by running a lot of experiments. For example, they switched over uh, the whole country of Australia uh, to um, the uh, Photoshop in the cloud. And, and that gave them some valuable insights that they could take back to uh, uh, every other country they were operating in. They ran all sorts of market studies trying to understand the fundamental uh, latent needs of their their customers and and one of the uh, interesting consequences of that Wanda was that they discovered there was a lot of people uh that were not able to afford uh photoshop because it was getting to be almost a thousand dollars a generation whereas uh a, a small uh graphics design house might have had sixty or seventy dollars a month they didn't have a thousand bucks up front and they did they learned that there were a lot of people in this uh opportunity that they they could tap into. Then, uh, so the the other thing they did was made some really targeted investments to learn much more about 
the areas that they were uncomfortable with, particularly on digital technologies. And so uh, those three elements, uh, deep market studies, lots of experiments, uh, coupled with uh, scenario approaches that will target your questions, these are all elements that uh, we find can be uh, used to reduce conflict, and most importantly, I think, help you learn as an organization, so to to build confidence in it. Yeah, I I have to come back to a point, I know you've heard me say this, George, that I think is really important here, and that's the notion of of an expert. So if I'm an expert, I have a pretty good hunch what's going to happen, what the answer is going to look like, I'm calling on my expertise. And Mm -hmm. one of the challenges is that in these uncertain times, seeing things differently, seeing ahead, doing something in an unusual way, I'm asking my experts to not stick with their standard answer. And that's extremely uncomfortable for people who define their value to the organization as being the expert, the knower, because I'm asking them now to not know. And I find that there's an awful lot of sources of tension that come in that direction. And so I think you have to manage your experts in a constructive way. But I love your idea of, okay, let's just pose it as an interesting question, which we can go and interrogate. We can get data. We can do experiments. We can make some investments. Mm -hmm. We can see what comes out of that at the end of the day. Okay? All right, George. Uh, Now, uh, but I have a question for you, Wanda. Uh, Yeah. In, in 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 light of your experience with uh, uh, experts, uh, how do they bring along their team? Uh, I mean, I've talked about techniques I've seen work uh, at the uh, leadership level, but what are you finding works best when you're uh, an expert parachuted into an expert who's really demonstrated their uh, their prowess and mastery of their yeah. field. They're parachuted and uh, inserted into a situation where they're no longer the expert. Uh, yeah. How do they get everybody on board? <laughs> they struggle. First, they have to give yeah. up their identity as being about the expert. I swear on this issue, the number one thing, the first step is to understand that you add value beyond just your knowledge. I know knowledge is important. I know expertise is important. But you add value in so many other ways. Your network, the people you can tap Mm -hmm. for information, the kind of experiments you can pose, the questions you can ask, the ways you can explore. so many ways of adding value. And that's the starting point. Until you get your head wrapped around that, nothing is going to work effectively. So if you take an expert and say to your team, this is something we don't know because we've never explored, but we're going to get to know it. I, I think there's all sorts of interesting ways. George, sadly, we're out of time. So my guest today is George Day. The book we've been talking about is See Sooner, Act Faster, How Vigilant Leaders Thrive in an Era of Digital Turbulence. I just think this idea of focusing on how vigilant is your organization and how do you become more vigilant, meaning how do you get prepared to see the weak signals, to do some experiments on those signals, to get people sharing information and connecting and working across silos so you can test and make some investments. And that is how, at least according today to George, and I think myself, I agree with him, that that's how you're going to be able to thrive 
as the changes are coming ahead. George, thanks for being a guest today. And, and thank you for the privilege of uh, sharing our uh, collective expertise and uh, communicating it to your audience. It was With a pleasure. pleasure, always. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.